Welcome to The Cloaked. We are a collective of inquiring minds seeking answers to mysteries both past and present. Join us on our journey to discover that which remains hidden. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Cloaked. I am your host, White Owl. And today we'll continue with the missing 411 case. Um, we have the case of Dickie Tum Sudden. Now, Dickie disappeared uh, when he was three years old back in November 1st of 1945. Now, Dickie was the only son of Joseph Tum Sudden and Sally Tum Sudden. Now, um, they lived in Goodyear Bar, California. They were a family that was very well known in the community, uh, mostly because they were a wealthy family. They provided a lot of jobs. Uh, their family owned the mining company that basically and essentially uh, provided jobs to the entire community. So they were very well known. Now, in the summers, they would head off to their summer home. Um, so they uh, tended to, you know, uh, live a pretty good life. Now, over the summer, Sally uh, obviously took care of uh, Dickie and he was, again, a, a three-year-old and essentially couldn't really travel a whole lot. I mean, toddlers are very small and very fast, um, especially when they're excited, they're running around, um, they tend to move pretty quick if you're not paying attention now dickie had a dog that essentially uh took care of him you know it was a dog that was around him everywhere he went now this dog was named heidi and heidi was essentially like a babysitter uh to dickie now even though his mom would be around him a lot you know, obviously taking care of him, watching out for him. And on this particular day in November 1st, the um, the uh, Suddens were outside of their house, you know, playing around. And their dog, which uh, is a sheep dog, um, it, it's a very good herding dog. And so that's why, um, you know, the dog kept Dickie from going too far, from going too astray. And so, you know, the mom heads inside, you know, she's watching uh, her son, heads back inside really quick to grab something, comes back around, and Dickie's nowhere to be seen. And neither is Heidi. So she calls out for them. No answer. Starts walking down on, the, on this uh, pathway, and nothing. She heads down the trail, calling their name, nothing. She starts to panic, and she essentially runs to the road uh, to try to call for help. And as she's doing this, uh, a person passing by named Dr. Guy Kogan, uh, a professor at Ohio State University uh, who was there vacationing in California, stopped by and assisted uh, Sally in finding Dickie. Now, as he goes off to this trail, he ends up finding Heidi, the dog, 
um, coming back. And so, you know, as they were there, they called for the sheriff's office uh, to try to get assistance to find Dickie. Now, what ends up happening is the sheriff county uh, of Sierra, uh, Mr. W. Dewey Johnson, initiated the search. Now, the first day of the search, they tried to, you know, search through the trail, mainly because that was where he was last seen. And what ends up happening is that, as far as we know, that same day, there appears to be a weather change. That's the, by nightfall, it was raining. There was a snow, light snow coming down. And unfortunately, that slowed down the search uh, for Dickie. Now, you know, they continue the search on November 3rd um, because the uh, by the second day, it was just very difficult uh, to conduct the search and look for prints. But what ends up happening is they found uh, Dickie's uh, red and blue gloves that he was wearing the day he disappeared. Uh, so they felt like they were in the right trail. Um, of fighting Dickie. Now, as the search continued, um, you know, they try to um, look as far as possible um, even into the lake and river that was nearby. Now, um, you know, one thing uh, to mention is by the second day, they had hundreds of people looking for Dickie. Now, this included a man by the name of John Black, who was a well-known tracker. Um, he was a person who conducted search and rescues. Uh, he had his own uh, Russian shepherd dogs that would assist him in looking for Dickie. And he was very successful at conducting the search and rescues that he had over a hundred cases of solved search and rescue missions um, that he conducted. And so, as you can tell, you know, we've talked about many people who are these dedicated trackers um, who have their own dogs that are trained uh, to conduct these searches. And many of them, uh, these search and rescues go unlisted. You know, we've talked about that the National Forests, they don't keep any kind of data of people who go missing. Uh, you know, there's dozens of people that go missing every day. And you think about how many national parks we have. It's just, you know, it's an extraordinary amount of cases. Now, when John Black conducts the search and rescue, he goes to the area where the mittens were found initially, right? And so, you know, clearly that's one of the places you want to start your search, especially if you have, you know, these well-trained dogs uh, to, you know, search out the scent and track uh, um, Dickie. And so... You know, he gets out there, he goes to the location, and his dogs could not pick up the scent. They showed no interest 
in the scent. Um, and it was, you know, very difficult for him to get the dogs interested in the area in which Dickie uh, was lost and where his mittens were essentially found. And they could not get the dogs to cooperate um, in picking up the scent. And so, you know, by by November 5th, you know, there was a lot of speculation on what had happened to Dickie. Now, uh, again, the like I said, the parents are very prominent. They're very well known in the area. The, the theory of maybe possible kidnapping uh, did cross uh, some of the investigators' mind about that. So, you know, um, as the days progress, soldiers from Camp Beale tried to track Dickie, but unfortunately had no success. Now, again, like I said, they searched the river, uh, a large amount of the grounds, the crags, the mountain area, and nothing. Um, they did find some small footprints um, that were found in some mud uh, out in the distance where um, they also took dogs to see if they can track any kind of scent and nothing. They then brought another second set of dogs were brought to the same scene and to the where the mittens were found and nothing. Again, they, they showed no evidence of any sort of trying to pick up his scent. They refused to pick up the scent. Now, this uh, on this second set of dogs, these were owned by Bill Thompson and Al Tussaud. Uh, they were also kind of dumbfounded that the dogs had no interest in picking up the scent. Now, again, we've talked about dogs not wanting to pick up the scent. And, you know, on, on the few occasions on some of these rare cases, when they do, the conclusion of where they go or what they find is peculiar, to say the least. Uh, on some cases, they suddenly stop in, in the middle of a field. Sometimes they stop, like recently, uh, we've talked about, they stop at a wall, you know. Abruptly, you know, they just have no conclusion to following this trail of scent. It's just a, a random abrupt stop with no drop. There's no river where they would jump in. Um, and sometimes some of these cases there, it's almost like they were plucked from this trail where this, uh, the trail suddenly ends. And again, these are dogs that are trained to do this and have conducted hundreds of these searches. And so, you know, the handlers were confused by this. And like I said, there was rain and snow on the first day uh, of him going missing. Now, we've always talked about this and a lot of these cases, that tends to happen now, why does that happen? In so many of these cases, 
I mean, David Politis has talked about this. You know, if you read any of his books, if you've seen any of the documentaries, if you listen to him in any of the other podcasts uh, where he's been interviewed, you know, it's it's one of those mysteries of why. You know, one can say that, you know, yes, the weather does change. You know, it's not, you know, something where it stays constant. It's an ever-evolving weather. And so, yes, it, one can say it's true. But to suddenly have these sudden changes, you know, rain coming out of nowhere when there was clear skies, um, snow in some, in some of these cases. And sometimes it's only on the day, only on the day that that person goes missing. You know, if you've been to any other state, you've been anywhere where it rains, Sometimes it rains all the way to midnight, you know, past the next day. Sometimes there's several days of it raining, but only on that day of this individual who goes missing. Isn't that strange? Uh, and you tend to look and see, you know, what is going on. And just like the other cases that we talked about, the FBI shows up. Now, this happened the first week of Dickie going missing. FBI shows up to the headquarters of the search and rescue people. They were there to monitor the situation. Now, when Joseph Sutton, the father of Dickie, asked the FBI if they would join the search, they declined. Now, the media, the press, was interested in why the FBI would show up and decline to participate. Now, in November 6th of 1945, there was an article by the news and courier that included the statement of the FBI agents. The agents have declined to give their names or even admit that they are interested in the case. Strange, right? Peculiar. Why? Why show up if you're not going to help? Like, why even bother? Um, and nothing is said by the FBI. There are no other statements of any sort. Now, the search continued on November 7th. By this point, they have 250 soldiers, over 75 volunteers, trackers of all sorts from around the country, forest rangers participating, sheriffs, deputies, all looking for this young boy. Now, at the end of the day, all they had was a mitten, and some small footprints that were found in the mud. Now, where did he go? Where did he travel? You know, this is a three-year-old. You know, what, what is he like? Two two feet tall? You know, how, how far can his little legs go? You know, eventually he's going to get tired. You would think that, you know, they would have found him maybe like three, four miles from from the home. You know, it's very unusual. Now, as the days progress, the Suttons moved back to San Francisco Bay Area. And they had and were receiving harassing calls. People that were claiming to know the whereabouts of Dickie. Now, none of these uh, calls were solid evidence of any sort or leads. And at the end of the day... Weirdly, the FBI announced suddenly on November 15, 1945, that one of their best kidnapping experts 
was going to undertake the sudden case. Now, this was very strange because, you know, there was a theory at the beginning that maybe he was kidnapped, but they never received the ransom or request for money or for funds or anything. So, again, very strange. Now, the assistant FBI director, E.J. Conley, left his post on the East Coast and took up residence in San Francisco, claimed that his job was there to investigate the sudden case and another case which I have found no information of, the case of a girl who went missing on her way to her house uh, from school in San Jose. Now, as far as I know, there was no link to these two cases and why suddenly the FBI would be interested in this case. So, you know, very peculiar, of course. And under the FBI federal statute, the FBI may enter any case after a person has been missing for seven days if there's evidence of kidnapping. But here's the thing. Again, like I said, no evidence. Now, the Suttons have been claiming that they felt that Dickie was kidnapped. But again, like I said, at this point, he had disappeared and no evidence of any type of kidnapping. Now, of course, he didn't leave voluntarily. Or did he just take off running and wandered off and got lost? You know, it's very difficult to say we can only theorize what happened to Dickie. Now, I don't believe that Dickie went into the river, as a few people thought, that he may have gone to the river and, you know, decided to go in to the river and then drowned. Problem with that is that that day was cold. Then the river was cold. And also, there's no evidence of Dickie going into the river. None. And if he did go into the river and drown, they would have found a body. They would have found his body floating on the river. Uh, And that's something that does not happen. Nor was there any a report of any of that, you know, happening. There's no findings of a body. Now, Dickie, of course, could not have left on his own. Now, as we all know. And as if you know, if you're a hiker, if you are an outdoorsman, and if you just, you know, let's say you're not any of those things, but you know about the missing 401 cases, and if you know anything about human nature, is that when children are lost in the woods, they tend not to climb upwards, they go downwards. Um, now, this is something that has been studied before. That children tend to go downhill, not uphill, because um, it's much easier for them. Now, Dickie could not have left out of that area without any kind of assistance. He had to have somebody pick him up and taken him. Somebody had to have taken Dickie. Now, again, no evidence of this. Again, the mitten was found up the hill. So somebody had to have picked him up, right? I mean, you know, 
this area had no other evidence, no tracks other than the two prints of, uh, of feet found in the mud, uh, no clothing of any sort. And, you know, they didn't find anything else. It kind of baffled uh, a lot of the search and rescue people. Now, one important thing uh, to note and remember is that it did rain and it did snowed that day. Very strange. Um, And so, you know, again, like many of these cases, that's something that tends to occur. And the other bizarre thing is that the dogs, the two sets of dogs, four dogs to be exact, did not want to pick up the scent or refuse to pick up the scent um, and refuse to track. Now, dogs who are trained for this, they find it exciting. They find it fun because the handlers, their owners, turn it into a game where they get rewarded at the end. You know, they get their trained for this. So why would the dogs, four of them, not want to pick up the scent? Show no interest in the scent. Zero interest in the mitten. Zero interest in the area where the mitten was found. Absolutely zero interest where the footprints were found. They refuse to pick up the scent. Now, why is that? Why would the dog not? want to participate it's i don't know it's just it's strange um and then the fbi the fbi's involvement at the end after declining to participate or to help decide to assist in some sort on this case at the end 15 days after to help in the sudden case and a second case of another missing girl and even though like we've said uh, no ransom was ever demanded for Dickie uh, the FBI never made any kind of arrests and uh, as as far as we know Dickie went missing out there in the woods was he plucked from where he was walking one thing to remember, and when they found Heidi, the the dog, is that Heidi was actually on the opposite end of where the mitten was found. She was coming from a different direction. To get an understanding, to get an understanding for this, Dickie's mitten was found up the hill. Right now. The dog was found down the hill, coming from that direction, where the Good Samaritan, the professor guy, found the dog, opposite of the river, opposite of the river's direction. So clearly, Dickie didn't go to the river. Now, why was the dog way further from, you know, where the mitten was found? 
if let's say Dickie was taken and he was taken up the hill, did somebody else take the dog and go the opposite direction to throw off any people looking for Dickie? Um, or was Dickie plucked from the sky, flown to the direction where the dog tried to run towards Dickie as he was being flown away? Crazy theory, but a theory nonetheless. Now, all the other theories have been, and, and I would say the logical theories have been dismissed. Now, his large area was searched. The river was searched. Again, like I said, over 300 people, soldiers and volunteers and trackers participated and nobody found him other than two tracks and a mitten. This case is still unsolved. Now you won't find Dickie Sutton's name on any other missing uh, National Forest record because again, that doesn't exist. And other than me, Whiteout, providing you with this information of this case, there's no other record of what happened other than what we have in from the newspapers from the police report nothing else what happened to Dickie let us know send us an email give us a comment hit us up on our Facebook hit us up on our Twitter hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll catch you on the next episode again read us on iTunes and you have a great day don't get lost